1: Sitting in a diner or out in the street Catch up with the news, get your point of view I want to hear what unravels, I'll see you in my travels i be
0: hanging. And welcome to another episode of Travels with Charlie. Thanks for joining me this afternoon. I want to give you a quick reminder. Past shows and, of course, Travels with Charlie videos, you can see those on the WDEV website, wdevradio.com. I always find it redundant to say www. Everybody knows there's a www. So it's wdevradio.com. Uh, before we do get started today, just a, a, a moment of reflection. Uh, as we all know, this past weekend we commemorated the 20th anniversary of the attack on America on 9-11. And, and so many times people ask, do you remember where you were? I certainly do remember, and I'll never forget that moment. I was on the air at the time at WVMT with my partner, uh, Ernie Farrar, Uh It it was a moment uh, that I will never forget. It changed us forever. And just a a quick shout-out to all of those that first responders that gave their lives that day, and let's never forget them, and and others that that died that day. So glad that you could join me today. Uh, A quick shout-out to all of my sponsors, Casella Waste Systems, Casella.com, Zero Sort Recycling, Reliable Service and Competitive Pricing, Jolly Convenience Stores, Pretty soon the creamies will be gone, so get on out there to any of the jolly convenience stores that are out there. Stop in and get a nice creamy or a hot coffee or sandwiches and snacks, ice-cold Coca-Cola products. Fill up your belly. Fill up your car. And, of course, if you're traveling, like I do, Mill Travel American Express. They've been doing it since 1975, and you can find out more information about them at milltravel.com. On the show today, we'll be talking with Governor Phil Scott. Open phone lines for questions with the governor. He'll be joining me at the bottom of the hour. But first, a pleasure to welcome to Travels with Charlie, Chittenden County Sheriff Kevin McLaughlin. Kevin, so nice to see you today. Thank you for joining me on Travels with Charlie.
1: Thank you, Charlie. It's great to be here.
0: So... Uh, And and by the way, the handcuffs are off. He did have a couple of subpoenas for me, but he
1: said he's going to give me a pass. I gave him a five-minute head start, but he's still here, so oh well.
0: And, you know, full disclosure, uh, Kevin and I grew up in Burlington. You were a few years older than me. Anybody that grew up in Burlington in the 60s, you had to know a McLaughlin. Eleven in your family, correct? That is correct. So you went to school with one of them. I had Janie. I had Timmy uh, that I grew up with. uh, Chittenden County's longest serving sheriff. That is correct. And you surpassed your dad.
1: Yeah, I beat his record in, I think, 19. I forget what it was, but it was 22 years he was sheriff.
0: 22 years your dad served as sheriff. And your dad then went on to become U.S. Marshal.
1: That is correct. Correct? Yep, 1977 under Governor, I mean, President. um, who was president in 77. Boy, don't ask me those. Questions. We're not doing trivia. <laughs> president Carter. I'm just testing <laughs> <laughs> your memory. Okay. He
0: knew the answer. Uh, oh. But And you've been in the sheriff's office since 1973. Correct.
1: And been sheriff since
0: 1987. Wow. So... Let me ask you Kevin. And by the way, if you have questions or comments this morning or if you have a memory, you want to go let's go down memory lane with the Sheriff Kevin McLaughlin. We can go way back. We'll get into the jailhouse that he grew up in. We'll talk about all of that. We're also going to talk about the the atmosphere of law enforcement today and what's going on with all of that and get his perspective. But I'd like to ask you, uh, how did your dad inspire you to a career in law enforcement? He must have
1: well, he did, because when we were growing up in a county jail, I mean, I was around law enforcement just every day and every night between the Burlington police, the local police that would be coming in, uh, all the deputies at the time. So it was almost like living, eating, breathing law enforcement.
0: You, you grew up right next to the fire station as well.
1: That is correct.
0: Didn't right. want to be a fireman, though.
1: Well, Was there a talk about that? Well, it was a talk about you. Yeah. Your dad would have disowned (laughs) you, maybe, right? (laughs) I've been on the Burlington Fire Commission as a commissioner since 1989. So I'm kind of doing a little bit of both. Yeah. If you have a question or comment this
0: morning, we would love to, this afternoon, we would love to hear from you. 244 1777 or toll free at 1 877 291 8255 to speak with my guest today, Chittenden County Sheriff Kevin McLaughlin. Kevin, you could have been a police officer. You could have uh, been an FBI agent. Uh, your position is an elected one. Correct. Why go that route?
1: Um, at the time, during that time, it was very interesting because there were just so many assets that were used from the sheriff's office between patrols, prisoner transport, service of criminal civil process, just a whole different world out there that you're not in the same area all the time. You're all, you're all around the county. And at the same time, you're all out around the country doing extraditions, things like that. So to me, it was a beginning to experience that, and it was really nice.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about the duties of a sheriff's office? Uh, You know, and many people may think of sheriff, they they, they think of... You know Matt Dillon, or you know whoever, uh, you right. know, even Andy Griffith, I yeah. suppose, right? You know right. Sheriff Andy. Uh, right. What are the duties of a sheriff, and what are what are the duties today? Maybe they've changed somewhat from when you first became sheriff.
1: In a way, they have, but generally, the sheriff is responsible for prisoner, mental patient, juvenile transports throughout the state of Vermont. The sheriff's is also responsible for contracts. and sheriff's contract with local towns, and municipal agencies, federal government for whatever type of um, things that need to be done. We currently contract with Westford, and yeah. Underhill for police services, mostly uh, traffic enforcement. We also do fingerprints where we fingerprint uh, civilians in Chittenden um, County. We do between 3000 and 5000 a year of those fingerprints. Uh, we do contracts for traffic control, those kind of things, private enterprises, things like that. And we also have a person who is working for uh, Homeland Security. He's on assignment there. And we've had one that was on DEA staff for 12 years.
0: How many people are in the office now?
1: Um, that? now we have approximately 21 and um, probably about another 10 part-time.
0: When your dad was sheriff, how many people were in the office at that time?
1: Uh, Not many because the office consisted of most of the time during the jail up until 1969. And then from 1969 to 1977, there was probably about four, maybe three or four full-time positions, but maybe about 80 part-time positions. We
0: we may be opening up a, a door here that we don't want to. Jack from Moscow has a question for you about uh, uh, a story that's passed down from generation to generation. Jack, thank you for joining us here on Travels with Charlie with Sheriff Kevin McLaughlin. Good, good afternoon to you.
2: Thanks, Charlie. Uh, yeah. Uh, Uh, Mr. McLaughlin, my my mom always says that um, she used to come up and visit a relative of my grandfather who was in law enforcement in the Montpelier area, and she claims that her and her brothers used to get to sleep overnight in the jail, and I always wondered if that was a tall tale my mom told or if that was actually true. This would have been during the 50s. She said it was very much like like the Andy Griffith show, and sometimes I think (laughs) she has the two
1: confused. I'll well, hang up and listen sir. <laughs> okay, well that's probably possible but in the 1950s. Um, if anybody slept over in the jail in Chittenden County, it was actually in the front of the building where the building was a um, where the, all our family lived. It wasn't actually inside the jail, but many of our friends did be able to sleep over.
0: That you have Otis, the, the town drunk, that used to let himself in and out?
1: You're talking about Georgie? <laughs> well, there we go. Again, I, I just again. gave a first name. I know who you're talking about. I just about. gave a first name. Yeah, well, well anybody that grew up in Burlington right.
0: knows exactly it, who you're talking it, about.
1: Georgie was one of our best friends.
0: Yeah. 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 Uh 2441777 or 18772918255. I got a feeling there's a lot of people out there listening that have questions or have uh memories that they would love to discuss with us today. Sheriff Kevin McLaughlin in studio with me, Travels with Charlie. Kev, on on a serious note, what are the challenges that you see in law enforcement today? You, you know, we hear so many stories about defund the police. Police aren't they don't have the same respect that they did. When you and I were growing up, you know, kids revered the right. police. They, they, And they were friends. Yep. And you would see them out on the beat. They'd be walking the beat. You don't see that today. What
1: yeah, are the that's, challenges? That's that million-dollar question where um, when I look back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, uh, looking at today, it's a whole different world out there. And uh, the biggest problem in law enforcement today is keeping qualified people in the job. Number two, and any new positions that become open, trying to find qualified people to fill them. And not just in Chittenden County, not just in the state of Vermont, but the entire United States, we're seeing that globally. And it's just unbelievable due to the fact that nobody wants to be a cop anymore. Yeah,
0: Well, and that's the, the backlash of the, the defund movement, is right. it not? I believe so. How do we get around that?
1: Well, I think you have to look at every town, every city, every county, every state is completely different from the other one. And especially when I look at Chittenden County, Milton's different from Winooski. Winooski's different from Burlington. And you have to be involved with your town or your city or your state and, and with your elected officials and keep in contact with them and let them know what you need, what you're seeing, what's not being met, those kind of things. But it's you, a local. It's a local issue. Yeah. It needs to be dealt with better than what I've seen.
0: But you can actually you can see that how it's changed over the course of the years with this generation. When you were growing up, of course, you had great inspiration. Your dad was a was a sheriff. Uh, um, but for somebody today that's 18 or 19 years old and pondering what am I going to do, uh, uh, it just seems that. You know, and and kids growing up, it used to always be, you know, what do you want to be, a police officer, a fireman? And today you don't hear that as much.
1: I know. And I think sometimes what you can do is call your local police department and ask them, hey, can I come over and talk? Can I come over and maybe ride with some of your officers if that's possible and see what they do and see what they're going through? And that might give you a better understanding of the future if that's what you're looking to do.
0: Well... And specifically in Burlington now, just taking a look at what's going on there and the number of police officers has dropped dramatically already. There are stories of some of them that uh, are questioning whether or not they're going to stay. Uh, morale is at an all-time low, not just in the Burlington Police Department, but in others as well. Will that lower number of police officers, and the the city council refuses to raise the cap. They've already had an opportunity, I think five or six weeks ago, to raise that cap, and they've said no. Will that put a strain on your officers? Could your officers be called in to help out?
1: That's always possible, but the point is um, most of these times when they're looking for assistance and help, it's usually later in the evening or late at night when bars close and things like that. So the other PDs around would have most likely people on duty during that time. And that would be a huge strain on them also.
0: Right. And that's exactly what what is happening because they have – they can rely on other police departments and other communities. They can rely on them. And, of course, when the numbers continue to go down in Burlington, uh, you know, an outlying – community, Milton, Colchester, whatever it may be, you might say, well, you know, uh, you guys are always calling us in, but when we call you for help, you can't respond because you don't have enough officers. At some point, that's going to reach a, a breaking point, is uh, it not? I believe
1: that's going to happen, yep. Yeah. And like I said, uh, we just had a chief's meeting not too long ago, and talking with a lot of the chiefs around Chittenden County, everybody's down, their number's down their full-time staffing, so everybody's hurting. I'm down two positions, and... Next year, I'm going to lose three of my state positions, which, which I have six.
0: Could um, members of your department be hired privately? And I bring this up because I know that the Burlington uh, Business Association recently created this, uh, you know, for want of a better term, people, would they created an escort service. It's like, you know, where are they going with that? No, to escort uh, you know, workers to their to their cars or to parking lots after bars close, after restaurants close, uh, to get them safely to their cars at night. I mean, could could you be hired? Could they be hired privately?
1: They could be, but that would cause a huge strain because of the fact I don't have enough people to handle all those requests that I know would happen from that. So. It probably wouldn't happen. They'd have to do private security.
0: Yeah, and again, that would be you know late in the evening, which right. typically does not uh, coincide with you. Two four four seventeen seventy seven is our number if you want to talk with Sheriff Kevin McLaughlin. He's with me until the bottom of the hour, or one eight seven seven two nine one eight two five five. We will take a quick break when we come back. Yeah, we're going to talk about that jailhouse and some of the great stories about growing up in a jailhouse in Burlington with Sheriff Kevin McLaughlin right here on Travels with Charlie wdev when i'm on my travels throughout vermont i know where to stop for a fill up fresh made sandwiches snacks hot coffee or an ice cold coca-cola jolly convenience stores with over 40 in our area there's always one nearby and they're more than a quick stop proudly supporting local charities community events and our military jolly convenience stores home of the daily smile even behind that mask stop by today you'll be glad you did Back with you, Travels with Charlie. Thanks for joining me today. My guest in studio with me is Chittenden County Sheriff Kevin McLaughlin. Open phone lines at 244-1777. We'll be joined by Governor Phil Scott coming up after the uh, 12, the 130 uh, news break. one 291 8255 if you'd like to talk. A lot of numbers. Greg from Bristol has a question for you, Kev. Good afternoon, Greg.
2: Hi, um, thanks for having me on the show. I just have a, a comment. Um, I I feel myself, I feel that there are lots of qualified people to be police officers around the country. I just feel that they're not being drawn to the occupation as much anymore because they're not being paid enough. And um, and I think if you were asked police officers on the job today, they'd they say the same thing. Um, If you want to attract people to the job, you have to pay them appropriately. Um, I'd like to hear a
1: comment. Thank you. Thank you, Greg. Thanks for your call. Well, I don't disagree with that at all. And Like I said, once again, it's uh, based on the individual town, county, state that that person works for and looking at what they do pay in comparison to the other areas. And in Vermont, it's totally different all the way around the state. Right. Totally different.
0: So that's something yeah. that, uh, you know, statewide, it's It's not going to be solved statewide. It's community-driven. Right.
1: That is correct. And uh, there are some agencies that do pay better than others, but they also have a whole totally different um, things that's going on in that particular community. So,
0: Kevin, how closely do you work with the state's attorney office? Uh, as you know, there's been some criticism of not prosecuting criminals, uh, uh, in some instances, uh, not even trying them as adults, but trying trying them as juveniles. We saw a situation where somebody fired a, a gun at the university mall. Luckily, didn't hit anybody, uh, and that person was apprehended uh, in Florida, I believe. Maybe you may have transported him back. I don't know. You did. Yes, we did. Yeah. Uh, and the the state's attorney wants to try him as a as a juvenile. Now, you know, my head just spins when I think about what if this is a serious offense you're firing a weapon inside a crowded mall Mm -hmm.
1: that is correct and at the same time the state's attorney is an elected official and everything a state's attorney does uh, obviously is in the press we do work with the state's attorney's office every day in the prisoner transports whether it's uh, prisoners juveniles mental patients back and forth with the state's attorney's office and especially on extraditions but once again That is up to the particular state's attorney, whether they want to prosecute, let somebody stay in jail, let somebody out on bail. That's their decision.
0: Why do you think there's an uptick in – and you, you, you look at the numbers, and I've seen some of the numbers, and people say that the crime rate is actually down in Burlington, yet we're hearing more and more stories of gun violence in Burlington and those those numbers those numbers do not lie. Uh, the number of incidents of uh, actual gun violence, where somebody is firing a weapon in Burlington on the streets, is way up.
1: Yeah, it's like I have no clue to what's causing that, but I just am concerned that the lack of the full-time police officers during those hours might be a contributing factor. I don't know.
0: Some of it gang-related. It seems to be a, a term that uh, that for some reason. Uh, the media doesn't want to use that term. And when we hear of these shootings, they just say, you know, there's a couple of people there having a shootout. Like, you know, anybody that saw the video at the, the gas station in Burlington, it looks like a shootout at the OK Corral. I mean, yeah. uh, uh, but it was likely, and, and it's an assumption on my part, but gang related over drugs. There seems to be an influx of, of drug activity in Burlington now. Why are these people coming here?
1: Um, Probably because the price is better than what it is in the bigger cities, and the the profit's higher. And that generally, uh, when I had an officer on the drug task force, we were seeing that from those 12 years that he was on the task force unit.
0: Yeah, these are business people. I mean, make no mistake about it. Uh, They're people that you or I don't want to do business with, but... Because uh, one wrong move, and you know what happens. Right. Uh, you're, you're, you're on somebody else's yeah. turf, and these are what some of these, these they're, they're arguments that they're having, and it's very
1: simple. You just yep. end it, you
0: pull your weapon out, and boom, boom, boom.
1: Yep, and Some of the drug dealers that are part of gangs are not very well known here compared to in a larger city where they may have a huge record down in those areas.
0: Will cannabis stores uh, have any effect uh, in, in Burlington? Eventually they're going to come.
1: Yeah, I have no idea on that one. That's a good question.
0: All right. We got to talk about, this is what I know what everybody wants to talk about. They're going, all right, enough of this serious stuff. (laughs) Because you and I, Kevin, I mean, you know, we met here at the, at the, at the station earlier and we're going back, of course, you know, our days at Cathedral Grammar School, Rice High School. I think my first meeting with you was probably, and again, you're a few years older than me, when we were at Cathedral. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. And I didn't ask you this before, but I think you were a crossing guard.
1: Yes, I was. I yeah. was a captain. I, I, I was knew a
0: captain. it. I remember the old. Remember, you had the white. Yeah, um, the white belt. The white belt that you yeah. had to wear, and that was a big deal. Oh like, yes,
1: it was the but crossing really guard,
0: was. and I, I'm sure your mom and dad were proud of you that you know here, you know the, the son of a sheriff, yep. and and you're the captain of the crossing guards at I, Cathedral Grammar I School. I got my
1: captain's badge when I was in eighth grade, and I was proud of that. Proud of that. Loved it.
0: So, growing up in a in a jail. You grew up in a house that was connected to a jail, the county jail. This was right on the corner of that's Maine? Main and South Munsey Avenue. It was two twenty Main. And the, of course, the fire station is still there. You right were right next, door, next right next the mid,
1: door. Midtown Motel was on the other side of the driveway. Now,
0: and, and I've disclosed, of course, that uh, you know we knew, we've known each other for a long time. I knew your sister Janie, and and of course, uh, you know Timmy was in my class, and I remember Janie telling me one time man she says you know the prisoners ate better than we did <laughs> <laughs> 11 of you your yep. moms cooking the meals oh yeah for the prisoners well,
1: what the mom, were you, what the, were your duties the moms and the and the boys and the girls at times would always be assisting my mother whether it's cooking meals cleaning uh, doing laundry whatever and at the time, uh, back in those days, the sheriff was reimbursed for, I think, a $1.50 a day to feed the inmates. And basically, the kids would always help put the plates together and, and hand them through the little portal. And one day I said to my mom, I said, "Hey, how come uh, these guys are eating better than us?" She says, "I get a dollar fifty day for them. I don't get anything for you." <laughs> and I thought about that. I said, "That makes sense. I agree with that." <laughs> I don't know how you guys can afford to have eleven kids, <laughs> not much less feed them. <laughs> Do you?
0: Is there any you know any one prisoner that that you recall that stands out for you that was just uh, you know a wise guy a, or, or notorious that that you had to guard?
1: Um, You talk about when I was living at the jail. When you
0: were living at the jail, yeah. Uh,
1: Well, there were a couple of locals that were there like every other weekend. Um, Frank and Georgie were two of them. I'll (laughs) give you their first names. And uh, after their Friday night incidents with the downtown Burlington Police Department, they were lodged and they would get like a week from Judge Costello. And they were um, very helpful around the jail helping us clean and do a lot of the stuff. Boy, those are are the days. Those are the days. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. When you you know, when you think about it, when when everybody knew, you know, the local, (laughs) the local troublemakers (laughs) knew knew
1: them by name. Yep. Uh,
0: (laughs) But it was a different time, uh, you know, the way that uh, the way that law enforcement handled it, uh, the way that they did things.
1: Yep. It was totally different back in those days compared to today, and uh, I miss those days.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, living in a jail, and you literally did. I mean, that your, your house was connected to the jail. That is correct. You were telling, we've got a couple of minutes here. you got to just quickly tell the story about how you heard some scratching.
1: Oh, my brother Tommy and I, we were above the booking office because as our family grew, there was less space to put the bedrooms. But we were above the booking office. And being next to the Burlington Fire Department, you'd hear the bells go off like 50 times a day. Bing, bing, bing. you hear the sirens go off. And we kept hearing the scratching. We always had squirrels in the ceiling. And we said, isn't that weird how the squirrels are only scratching during the fire trucks leaving the building? Then we told my dad about that. Then he went up on the other side of the jail and found two guys uh, tunneling through the walls into our bedroom. <laughs> not, not They thought they were going to the outside <laughs> wall. <laughs> but they, they were one, they were one nice. foot away from our bedroom. You were going to have a sleepover. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Kevin, this has been a blast.
0: I really appreciate you <laughs> joining me on Travels with Charlie. For thank sure, you Charlie. so much. It's can I great. ask Can I ask you quickly, you have plans to retire or continuing on as um, sheriff? I have
1: another year and a half to go on my current term, and we'll take it one step at a time. All I mean, right. What else together? can we do? I know.
0: Thanks for joining well, me. Thank you for having me. We're going to talk with Governor Phil Scott right after the break, right here on WDEV. Whether you're traveling for a vacation, planning a business trip, or have a global company looking for a strong Vermont-based company to align with for business and meeting management, Milne Travel is a trusted local partner, and they've been one since 1975. Milne Travel is one of the top travel companies based in New England. Featuring educational tours, vacation travel, or corporate solutions, let their travel specialists search the lowest airfares exclusive to the travel industry for you. Guaranteed. We're all getting ready to travel again. Save time and money on your next trip. Go to www.MillTravel.com. Back with you. Thanks for joining me today, Travels with Charlie. Uh, I am your host, Charlie Papillo. Thank you for being with me. We have Governor Phil Scott joining us in just a moment. I believe we're getting him on phone line. Brady Farkas uh, filling in for CORM on the board today. Thank you, uh, Brady, for for joining me and uh, helping me out here in the studio today. Lots to talk about with the governor. He will be joining us uh, in momentarily. Open phone lines as well at 244-1777 or 1-877-291-8255 if you would like to speak with the governor. Governor. Good afternoon. Welcome to Travels with Charlie.
2: Good afternoon, Charlie. This is like a blast from
0: the past. Boy, it certainly is. You know, I was thinking about that. It's been a while, and of course, uh, those uh, from the from the old radio days when we were on uh, Ernie Ferrar Drive doing the show. The only thing that's missing, Phil, and you can certainly attest to this, is uh, I don't have uh, Senator uh, Mazza stopping by, <laughs> bringing either the donuts or the three berry pie. So uh, you, you must what? Be down this-
2: Skin and bones at this point,
0: without, uh, without all the grass from him. No kidding. So, so when I leave, I'm going to have to tell him he owes me a pie because I had uh, the governor on today. I'll be yeah. I'll be seeing him later on this afternoon. Well, Phil, thank you so much for joining me. It has been a while that you and I have talked, and there's so much to cover. Certainly, much of this latest term of yours has been dominated by fighting the pandemic. Can I ask you how has that affected any of your other priorities? that you've set out to accomplish. Has it put anything on hold?
2: Well, certainly you have to prioritize um, and the pandemic has come first over the last 18 months. Um, but, uh, but at the same time, you know, I, I was speaking uh, to our state employees this morning and uh, we were recognizing some of their, their good work. And, and we reflected on the fact that not only did we have all this cross agency support and trying to work as one team, um breaking down those silos and, you know, helping out with, in the uh, labor department or the health department or uh, and, and so forth from all different sectors. But they had to do their day jobs. You know, they had to keep the wheels of government turning, and uh, it was important uh, to keep uh, keep that uh, in mind as well. So uh, many of them were doing uh, double and triple duty and uh, were getting through this. But, you know, the same priorities that I had, Uh, four or five years ago are still in place today to grow the economy, make Vermont more affordable and protect the most vulnerable. And and that hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, in in fact, uh, it's made it even more important.
0: We're seeing an uptick in COVID numbers right now, yet Vermont is at one of the highest percentages of vaccinated. Any explanation for that? What are your thoughts on that? And will will we see a mask mandate in Vermont?
2: Yeah, here's... Let's put this in perspective as well, because I I see I watch, uh, you know, if I flick on CNN, I I see the CDC as uh, labeled different states at different elevations and pretty much the whole the whole country is uh, a bright red and we're included in that. So you would that would lead you to believe that we're not in great shape. Uh, but uh, but let's again, let's put this, uh, in, you know, re- reset the, the table here. Um, When we're in the the same color as Florida, for instance, Um, Florida, uh, with their hospitalization, but theirs is coming down a little bit at this point in time, which is great news, Um, but but their hospitalizations, 33% of the hospitalizations in Florida are COVID-related, 33%. Um, And when you compare that to Vermont, Vermont, we have 3%. So, they're, you know, 11 times worse than we are. Same with their deaths and that, you know, uh, the uh, everything that comes with it.
0: And and do we know, Phil, you know, that percentage in Florida that are hospitalized due to COVID, do we know if they are vaccinated or not?
2: I think it's a mix, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, this really is a pandemic of the unvaccinated at this point. And it's the same here as well. When you think about, it's all math. uh, When you think about this as well, we have 400 and something thousand people vaccinated in the state. Well, you take a percentage of that, to, that that the so-called breakthrough cases, it's a very, very low percentage yeah. when compared to 450. To-
0: Governor Phil Scott joining me today on Travels with Charlie. Questions, comments at 244-1777 or 1-877-291-8255. That's a toll-free number. Phil, uh, you recently tweeted that you support President Joe Biden's vaccine mandate for employees of all companies of 100 or more employees. What have you heard from Vermont businesses in regard to that? And why the number 100? If I have 95 employees in my company, then I wouldn't have to, you know, go by that mandate.
2: Well, first I'm supportive of more vaccinations and a vaccination plan uh, to be put in place. But I'm also, um, it's always in the how, right? Um, From my perspective, having choices is important. Um, We have, uh, we've instituted a, either you you mask and test or you get vaccinated for our employees Mm -hmm. as a state. So, that's what I'm in favor of. I don't think the uh, putting a uh, any any type of uh, a mandated place uh, across the board is going to work. I think businesses should have choices, and I think that uh, if they really reflect on on keeping their workforce intact, uh, that they would adopt the same strategy, whether it's it's uh, mask mask and test or vaccinate, one of the two. Uh, but as an employer myself, this is what I would.
0: There still seems to be some confusion as to booster shots, whether or not we should get a booster shot if we've already had the, the, the first two. Um, what's the latest on that, Governor?
2: Well, the CDC hasn't approved it yet. And uh, I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, I guess I shouldn't put odds on this, but I'm not sure they're going to approve it at this point in time uh, because there's so many people who are unvaccinated still. Uh, and there's so many countries around the world that aren't even don't even have the vaccine available to them. So I'm not sure that everyone in the CDC is on board with uh, with boosters at this point, maybe in the near future. But uh, I know that the Biden administration has talked about the 20th of September, but I haven't seen the CDC um, uh, be completely on board uh, with in- imposing this. So we'll see. But if they. If the CDC says that it's a good idea uh, to have uh, have the boosters, then I would say that uh, that would be uh, the right thing to do.
0: Mike from Fairhaven joining us on the phone line at 244-1777, to get your questions or comments in with Governor Phil Scott. Mike, you're next with uh, Governor Scott. Good afternoon to you. Hi. Thanks for joining us.
2: Hi. Good afternoon. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, thank you, Governor. Uh, my question is, what are your thoughts? Uh, uh, President Biden put out the, his mask mandates last week and his thoughts on it. But uh, they're not re- the, 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 the uh, southern border, which is not secure with the people coming across the southern border, are required to be vaccinated. And when uh, the president's uh, press secretary, Jen Psaki, was asked that question, she acknowledged they're not required to be vaccinated, nor are they asked to be vaccinated. And that was that was her only answer. Next question. I'm curious as to what's your thoughts on that when they want the hardworking men and women of America and the heroes through the pandemic of the nurses, and now they're required to have a vaccination or lose their jobs. I'm curious as to what your stance is on that.
0: Good question, Governor. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Mike.
2: And, you know, when I talked about the open up the northern border, I said that we should adopt the same policy uh, that Canada has. Canada opened the border up to Americans coming across, but you have to be vaccinated in order to do so. Um, uh so I think we should uh, we should do the same thing uh, for all our borders. I think that anyone that comes across into the into the country should be vaccinated.
0: Governor, you recently reached out to any Afghan refugees that uh, that may want to relocate here in Vermont. How would that uh, policy affect them? Would you require that they be vaccinated? And also, what about the vetting process? Who is going to do that?
2: Yeah, well, sure. I think that uh, they should be vaccinated as well. Like I said, anytime we're accepting uh, people into our country, I think they should be vaccinated. Uh, you know, and I again, I, I I have been an advocate for accepting more refugees because I think it's the right thing to do, and, uh, and from a moral standpoint and a practical standpoint. Uh, and you know, this is a new to the current situation. I've advocated for this under the Trump administration as well, and now with uh, President Biden. So, but with regard to the Afghans themselves, these these were our teammates. We were in their country. We uh, we had them helping us. We helped them for 20 years. They fought alongside us. Many of their family members died for us, and I think we have a moral obligation to help them at this point in time. So, under the Taliban rule, they're not going to be safe. So I. I think we should be embracing this. We need to change the demographics. We need more diversity in the state. And uh, we need uh, we need to prop up the, the workforce. So I think it has both uh, moral in- implications as well as practical implications.
0: And with that said, let, let's talk a little bit about uh, the workforce. Vermont was one of the states that recently dropped the additional unemployment money from the feds. Uh, let's look back at that, those changes that allow – for the first time, uh, gig workers and self employed people were allowed to collect unemployment, to re- able to receive benefits. A great help, it certainly was needed. But in your opinion, did it go on for too long? You know, as we look now, many employers still can't find help. In many restaurants that you go to, retail outlets, you'll see that they've, they've changed their hours and they, they stay, that they've, they've done it because they don't have the employees. So did that go on for too long, do you think?
2: Yeah, let's unpack this just a little bit and and go back uh, a bit. Five years ago, as you remember, when I first ran for governor, I talked about the demographic issues, the workforce shortages we had in the state. Six, three, one. You remember that?
0: I do. In fact, I made a note of that. I want. I want. Yeah. I, I find that very interesting, and I, I did want you to talk a little bit more about that. So I'm glad yeah. you brought it up.
2: Well, it's it, it's all intertwined. Uh, six fewer workers in the workforce every single day. That's that's the number of people we lost every day. Six fewer workers in the workforce. Three fewer kids in our schools. One baby born to addiction every day, every single day. So when you think about over the last five years, uh, and you take that six number. That's about 2,000 people every single year. So it's been five years. That's 10,000 people. Now, pre-pandemic, we had about 5,000 people on unemployment, right? Mm-hmm. And we had the lowest unemployment rate in the country right. at that point in time. 5,000 people. So then, we when we get into the pandemic, we we shot up to over 90,000 people were unemployed. 90,000. Today, uh, we're down. You know, we're we're down to about 11,000. Now. Uh, traditionally, we'll probably have you know, even when we get back to normal, five, six thousand people on unemployment. So that leaves only five thousand people. That that five thousand people, if you took those folks and you put them into the workforce right now with all the openings we have, it still wouldn't fulfill the need. Yeah. So we had a tr- we had a problem before the pandemic. We still have it today, and it's gotten worse.
0: And we're so seeing that businesses have actually responded to that, uh, Governor. As you know. Many of them are now offering more than fifteen dollars an hour to start. Some even with bonuses. Um, I'm wondering, you know, what's happening with the minimum wage debate? When even at fifteen, sixteen dollars an hour, we still can't attract uh, workers.
2: Well, that's why I was opposed to the to the uh, minimum wage uh, increase uh, throughout my political life because I I thought it was uh, it was more to do with supply and demand. And now we're seeing that, right? The demand is up. Um, the supply is down. And uh, and so the reaction, the only thing you can do is offer more money. Well, it's way over $15 an hour at this point in time. Uh, everybody is struggling uh, to get more uh, workers. And that's, again, why I believe we need uh, to uh, welcome more refugees into the state, be part of our economy. Right? And if you look at the refugees in Chittenden County, Uh, they've done quite well. Uh, Many of them have their own businesses, uh, they're self-sufficient, and they have a great work ethic. Uh, From the employers I spoke with, and I'm sure you talked to them as well, Mm -hmm. but some of the big employers around Chittenden County is said, yeah, they're some of our best workers, and we need more of them.
0: There's, that's a, a lot of, uh, you know, moving parts to, to that issue. And we're going to continue our conversation with Governor Phil Scott here on Travels with Charlie. Take a quick break. We'll be right back with the governor on Travels with Charlie. Me, yeah. Welcome back to Travels with Charlie on WDEV. Charlie Papillo, your host, with you every other Monday here on WDEV. I want to thank uh, Governor Phil Scott for joining me today and staying with me. Governor, thanks again for being on the program.
2: It's great to be here, Charlie.
0: So as I mentioned before the break, uh, you know, many different moving parts to the the whole issue of, you know, $15 an hour minimum wage, the number of people that we have working, can't find enough workers. And part of that is also, it's is it not the affordability issue? And I talk with employers all the time that say they offered somebody a job, and they, they came to Vermont. They love the location. It's great. And then they went out and looked either for housing in rental form or to buy. And they said, well, wait a minute. With what you want to pay me, and it's a decent wage, I still can't afford a home.
2: Yeah, that's why, uh, you know, when we talk about all this federal money coming to us, a billion dollars is coming in through our, uh, through our doors over the next uh, year or two. Um, that's why we have to focus on the fundamentals. We have to get back to the basics. Uh, we have to make these investments uh, so that we can become more attractive, become more affordable, bring more people into the state, more taxpayers, uh, you know, uh, not higher taxes. right? And not build programs uh, that are going to make, uh, make government more expensive. Uh, so, you know, my uh, initiatives in terms of the ARPA money are, are pretty simple. You know, broadband. Broadband is something that uh, we all agree we need more cell service, more broadband. So let's put uh, 250 million into that. Uh, housing. We all agree we need more affordable housing for the working class, and uh, and we we uh, have a lot to do there. So let's put 200 and a quarter of a billion dollars into that. And-
0: but Governor, you and know that it, you know. That Even if we had a a bottomless pit of money to build housing for, you know, affordable housing or any kind of housing, that and and you understand this, of course, you know, being in the construction business, it's the permitting process. We hear horror stories all the time about people that want to build, whether it's a business or it's a home, and the permitting process, the way that it it slows them down, and then they say, well, you know, I can do this in New Hampshire, and we can have a shovel in the ground in, in a month.
2: Yeah. And it's not just, uh, to, to be fair about this, I, we need to modernize Act 250, but that's not the entire issue. It's, uh, it's federal permits, it's state permits, it's, it's local permits and local zoning, as well as Act 250. So uh, how do we intertwine all of them to, uh, to make it more efficient and protect protect our landscape? We want to continue to be, uh, you know, attractive for people to come and visit and uh, as well as recreate. Um, and also affordable to live, so we have to balance all that out. So with this money, I'm I'm very concerned uh, about uh, uh, being able to put all this money to good use in a short period of time, and and how do we expedite the permitting process in order to do so? So right. we have that in mind. We're we're ready uh, to have this discussion with the with the legislature. Uh, because we don't have a lot of time to to put this into place.
0: Yeah, and we don't and, and we don't have a lot of time to spend it either. I mean, aren't there limits uh, on? That,
2: that, that's what I that's what I'm talking about. Right, there's, there's going to be limits in and how you know it's got to be committed over a certain period of time. Um, so we have to put that in place. But let's not forget about the again getting back to the basics because we can say we want more housing, right? We want more affordable housing, but we need the infrastructure to go along with that. That's right. Water, water, uh, sewer. Storm water, all of that uh, has to be in place if we want to expand uh, the housing.
0: And especially uh, broadband, Governor. I mean, that's a very important part of it. Broadband, if you're going to get somebody to come here uh, and maybe they want to work remotely, they can work from their house. If they don't have broadband, they can't do it.
2: Yeah. Well, again, I- I'm saying broadband, a quarter of a billion dollars there, housing, a quarter billion, water, sewer, storm infrastructure, a quarter billion there. And climate change, and I believe climate change is real. Uh, I think that we should be putting money there, which will benefit us in the future. And whether it's weatherization, which will save people uh, money in their homes, let's put uh, let's put money into that as well. Uh, let's put the money, invest the money, not just spend the money, but invest the money. And uh, let's make sure that we just don't grow the bureaucracy uh, and take all that uh, money, and uh, and then have to continue. Uh, to to pay for that and we know what happens then uh, tax, new taxes right. comes along with
0: it. That's right, it's one time money. Governor Phil Scott, my guest on Travels with Charlie, if you have a question or comment we'd love to hear from you at 244-1777 toll free at 1-877-291-8255 uh, certainly, you know, I go back to uh, to Hurricane Irene, and uh, I remember how everybody scrambled, and we got things done so quickly. And some of the again to the permitting process, there were some things that were like just kind of I don't know if they were relaxed or or what it was, but things got done, and they because they needed to be done. And it seems like this is like an emergency as well. Things need to get done. We need to relax some um, some of the permitting process.
2: Yeah, we have to remember the lessons of Irene, for sure. Uh, But this is a different type of emergency. It's more broad uh, than, you know, Irene. It was about bridges and culverts and and, uh, water, uh, some, you know, some infrastructure, but mainly, mainly, you know, roads and bridges and so forth. So uh, those were in place before, easier to put those back into place. But when we talk about, again, building more housing, expanding housing, that's when it starts getting complicated because we have to go back to the water, sewer, storm infrastructure, local permits, uh, federal permits, state permits, as well as Act 250. So it all is combined, and and I again, we did uh, uh, the the administration did a great job uh, with uh, with Irene, uh, and and some of those projects are just getting finished today. By mm-hmm. the way, uh, but uh, but this is just a little bit more complicated, and we have to uh, again. And it it's a lot more money uh, now than we will receive in Irene, uh, so let's put it to good use and make sure that we're we're doing it for the right reasons.
0: Phil, I'd like you to address the issue of the lengthy waits at University of Vermont Medical Center. I know that uh, your administration secretary Mike Smith spoke on that and was working on it. Uh, is that a labor issue as well? Uh, what is the reason?
2: Yeah. Well, we'll find out after the investigation. And, and again investigation isn't going to be an i got you moment it's going to be how do we fix it you know what are we going to do to make it better uh, because i think what we're going to going to find i believe is that it's uh, uh, it's going to be due to multiple factors i think labor is going to be you know we're facing a labor shortage in every single sector in the state healthcare uh for sure we have a extreme lack of uh, of of nurses uh, for instance but across uh, healthcare in particular, um, but but as well, there was a number of people who waited. You know, during the pandemic, they didn't get all of uh, the healthcare their healthcare needs met, uh, nor did they want to. Uh, so there's a pent up demand. Uh, so when that happens, uh, obviously, uh, with a limited workforce, you know, it, it starts building up. So I think we, you know, we'll come up with hopefully uh, why it's happening, and then come up with solutions as to how are we going to work our way out of this.
0: Recently, a program that you had uh, paying people to come to Vermont, working remotely, did you expand on that recently as well?
2: Yeah, um, we worked with the legislature in the the last session, expanded it, uh, uh, maybe it made it a little bit more flexible. That was a successful program, brought more people into the state, paying taxes here. And uh not requiring a lot of services. So uh that's exactly what we need to do. We need to uh to bring more people
0: into the state. So would you say that it was a, a successful program and you got your bang for your uh, buck? Yes.
2: Absolutely.
0: Couple of minutes left uh, with Governor Phil Scott if you have a question at two four four seventeen seventy seven or one eight seven seven two nine one eight two five five. Governor, I just had uh Kevin McGoughlin, the sheriff of Chittenden County, on with me just before you. We talked a little bit about uh, some of the issues in Burlington. I understand it's a, it's a local issue, but it's still something that the state should be concerned about, that Burlington is an economic uh, driver. Uh, are you concerned at all about uh, the gun crime in Burlington, the lack of support from the city council to increase police officers, instead choosing to defund the police? Uh, the state may be called in to, to help at some point. Would you agree?
2: Yeah, well, obviously we're concerned watching the issue. Um, and when you see it play out on uh, on TV, uh, we got to see it with our own eyes, right? I mean, that was uh, fairly dramatic, uh, what was happening there. Yeah,
0: you're referring to the, the shootout at the gas station, which sure. happened yeah. uh, two weeks in a row at the same location with video cameras on.
2: Yeah, I mean, who would have thought that would happen here in our state? So, yes, uh, obviously we're, con- we're concerned from a public safety standpoint, um, but we're having our challenges too. Workforce uh, issues, uh, again, every single sector, uh, law enforcement uh, being another. And, and uh, again, if we want to change the training aspects uh, of policing, that's, that's a good thing to do, and that's what we're working on. Uh, but defunding uh, and uh, and and making less money available, uh, public safety is our highest priority uh, as a government. And uh, and I think if anything, we're we're going to have to be putting more money into law enforcement and policing, uh, maybe just doing it in a different way. Uh, but uh, but we can't we can't reduce uh, reduce that. I mean that's a basic need that everybody expects. Absolutely.
0: Governor Phil Scott with me on Travels with Charlie. Governor, thank you for joining me today. One final question, because I do have to ask you, you know, Maz and I, Senator Maz and I, are concerned about our job working the grill at Wheels for Warmth. Um, will you be doing that uh, this year? It obviously had to take a, a pause last year because of uh, the pandemic. But um, your, your thoughts on that, uh, will that be happening? Yeah,
2: well, we're certainly hoping so. There should be an announcement coming uh, fairly soon. Uh, but we'd like to continue the program that was successful over the last uh, uh, decade or more. And uh, and I think that uh, it's, it's needed uh, today. It will be needed in the future. It's just a good program. So All right. We'll let you know, Charlie.
0: All right. Well, Senator Mazza and I will be there on the grill. Uh, Phil, Governor Phil Scott, thank you for joining me on Travels with Charlie. Good to talk with you again. Thank you you very much. Travels with Charlie sponsored by Gasella Waste Systems, Jolly Convenience Stores, and Milne Travel American Express with support from True North Radio. Theme song written and performed by Billy Bratcher, my executive producer, Brad Ferlin. Brady Farkas filling in on the board today. I'm Charlie Papillo. I'll see you in my travels back on September 27th. WDEBRadio.com for past shows and videos of Travels with Charlie.